0: The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going everybody? Welcome to the show! You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week, and it is a pleasure to be back in the U.S. of A again. Woo! I am back from China, people, and I am jet-lagged. Oh, my God. I am jet-lagged. I am jet-lagged. I am jet-lagged. My head, it really hurts. Oh, man. It's good to be home, but... Good Lord, jet lag sucks. 13 hour time difference between where I am and where I was in China and my body just can't, it, it can't regulate itself. I can't get back to where I need to be. I've been back in the States for about a week now, a little less than a week, but, and I, I just, I can't get, a, I can't get past this jet lag. It's brutal. I keep waking up at three o'clock every morning and I keep getting tired at 7 PM every night and no matter what I do. Try as I might, I can't seem to regulate myself back. I mean, if anybody's got some tips on how to handle jet lag, let me know because this is driving me nuts. I am woefully unproductive because the hours of the day where I would get things done and talk to people, I'm too tired to talk to them. Like I, I, I taught my first class of the semester. I teach at Doral College. I teach a business ethics course in the spring and i was hallucinating while lecturing to my students in that first class because of this damn jet lag it is crazy but that being said it's good to be back and it's great to be hosting the show again china was awesome but good to be home and my sincerest thanks to the wonderful wonderful talented ladies of women crush music specifically ashley Curvabon, kate Zaccardi, michelle costanza and mo lincoln for taking over the show the past two weeks you ladies were wonderful you were incredible and listeners if you have not checked out their episodes from the last two weeks Go ahead and do that right now. Go to BreakTheBusiness.com. Check out the last two weeks of episodes where the Women Crush team took over the podcast for the two weeks that I was in China. They were fantastic fantastic. And I am I'm so grateful they knocked it out of the park. And I hope they do their own podcast at some point in the future because they're great at it. And I learned so much. And it was fun just being an audience member of my podcast, like the rest of you, you know, getting to tune in and see what people have to say. And I don't know what they're going to say until they get on the air. And it was so cool. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Women Crush Music. You guys are the best. Ashley, Kate, Michelle, Mo. Wonderful, wonderful. And Again, while I was gone, I was in China, and China was fantastic. Please don't let my bitterness about this damn jet lag make you think that I'm not so grateful and so happy and so fulfilled from this trip I took to China. It was wonderful. I did all the China touristy stuff. I saw the Great Wall. I've actually seen the Great Wall twice before this trip, but it's unbelievable every time. Like The Great Wall is not a ho-hum experience. It's not a been-there, done-that experience, even if you've been there and done that It's incredible, and I loved it. I also got to see the Ice and Snow Festival in Harbin, China. There's some pictures I have on my Twitter if you want to check this out. It is, without hyperbole, the greatest place I've ever been to. It was incredible. These giant, towering ice sculptures, you know, hundreds of feet high, just beautifully done that are lit from the inside, and it's just incredible. The fact that Mankind is capable of constructing these things. It, it's so good, you're even willing to look past the fact that it's below zero freezing up there while you're there. But it's it's really, really cool. You should check it out. And I mean, and then the Great Wall was great, and the Ice and Snow Festival was great. But my favorite part of the trip by far, which is always my favorite part of the trip whenever I go to China, is seeing my in-laws. My wife was born and raised in China and most of her family is still there. And it's wonderful to see him because they are the nicest people and they've been nothing but welcoming to me. And they'd have no, you know, they don't know me. They, they I'm from a completely other country, but they've just taken me in and, and, they, and they love me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I got to meet a bunch of my relatives while I was in China. I still haven't, you know, up until this trip, I'd still have not met a lot of my wife's aunts and uncles and things like that. And I was able to meet them all in one fell swoop while I was up in Northeastern China. We actually had a very belated wedding reception (laughs) um, while I was up in China. Uh, I've been married for about a year and a half, but a lot of my relatives weren't able to make it to the wedding. And so we sort of had a reception with all of them in China last week. And it was fantastic. Fantastic. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. They were awesome. They're all so nice. And... After that little reception, I went to a small village in northeastern China where my wife was born and I got to meet my grandparents-in-law for the first time. I mean, that's pretty cool. They are really awesome, sweet people and they were so kind to me and I loved it. And the food was great. Love the food. Um it's it's a little adventurous, not for the faint of heart. It's not the kind of Chinese food you're going to get at the corner Chinese restaurant by your house. It's uh it's a lot of stuff that you you got to be a little courageous when you eat, but It was fantastic, and so the food was great, and oh, the drinking, so much drinking. I'm not a big drinker, and apparently in China, that's not acceptable. You are not allowed to not be a big drinker in China, because drinking is what they do, man, and they got this drink in China called Baijiu. Baijiu is, without being culturally extensive, it's It's gasoline, man. It is so strong. And uh, my family members and the people I was seeing up in China, they love the Baijiu, man, but it is strong. It is 52% alcohol by volume. Like you put a drop of this stuff on your tongue and it just immediately evaporates because of how much alcohol is in it. 52% alcohol by volume. If you want a basis of comparison, vodka. Vodka, you know, the vodka, the very, very strong vodka is only 40% alcohol by volume. So this stuff is strong and you drink it in these little bottles and, you know, when you drink them and you don't really realize how much of a toll it's taking on your body until later when it all kind of hits you at once. And I had the worst hangover of my life in China after drinking Baijiu. It was brutal. And again, I don't drink very much so I don't, you know, I I don't get a lot of hangovers and this one was so bad. And part of the reason why it was so bad. And I'm probably going to get into some personal details here, but I mean just, you know, I I'm, I'm just trying to warn y'all in case you ever drink this particular kind of alcoholic beverage that you're prepared for it, but um normally what the, my trick to avoid hangovers when I do occasionally drink my my 100% foolproof hangover trick is before I go to bed, I drink as much water as I can, usually a couple glasses of water, and I uh, take two aspirins or two Tylenols or two some kind of pain reliever so that when I wake up, I'm not horribly dehydrated the next day and I don't have a splitting headache. And look, does it completely cure a hangover? No, but it significantly minimizes it. And I swear by this trick. It is my hangover trick. And the problem was when I drank this by Joe, when I was up in China... It was so it just it messed up my whole body so bad that I couldn't drink water before going to bed because I kept throwing up and I got so sick. And so I didn't get to do my hangover trick before going to bed. And I woke up with the worst hangover of my life. And I I mean I feel like I'm still sick from it. And um, you know, I may never drink again, and I didn't drink much before, so that's not exactly a lot of you know, big step for me to take, but oh my goodness, the Baijiu. But, I mean, it was an incredible experience, the whole thing. You know, the highs and the lows, I, I'm so glad the China trip got to happen, but it's so good to be back hosting this podcast again. Uh, our guest this week, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to Tommy Darker. He's a friend of the podcast. We've had him on before. He's wonderful. He's a great, great, insightful innovative, fantastic music business entrepreneur. He's the founder of a music entrepreneurship education platform called WISE, that's spelled W-H-I-I-S-E. We last had him on the podcast about six months ago, and back then his platform was called Musicpreneur Hub. Now it's called WISE. It's, it's just a cool platform. It's got a Q&A component where musicians can ask questions, on the platform that get answered by music business experts, and the platform has masterclasses as well. A lot of great resources for indie artists. So we're going to talk to him about why's and we're going to talk to him about the future plans that he has for his platform because there's a lot of great stuff in store that I really think is going to help indie artists out. And as we do with every guest, we're going to get some great tips from him along the way. This guy knows a lot about building an audience, and he knows a lot about monetizing an audience, and we're going to get some good nuggets out of him. And he's got a cool life story too. If you remember from the interview six months ago, this guy was a soldier in NATO and transitioned from military life in Europe to music, and it's a cool story. And so I'm going to see if we can get him to rehash some of those details again for some of the new listeners, because he, he's a cool dude. But before we bring Tommy Darker in, in the next segment, oh my goodness, we got so much news to talk about. In the two weeks that I have been gone, the music industry has went crazy. So much stuff has happened and I wasn't around to cover any of it. So I got all this pent up stories that I have to talk about with you guys. I know the Grammys happened. I mean, that's important. We always talk about the Grammys on the show. And so we're going to talk about the Grammys. We're going to do that in the third segment. I have not forgotten about the Grammys. I know y'all like to talk about the Grammys with me. I know that some of you more savvy viewers of my Twitter account want to make fun of me because I made a Grammy prediction back in November about Kesha winning the Grammy Award, and I was completely wrong. And I know some of you want to make fun of me for that, so we're going to do all that in the third segment. But before we bring in Tommy Darker in the second segment, and before we talk about Grammys in the third segment, I think we should first talk about... The biggest thing that's happened in the music industry since I've been in the Eastern Hemisphere. This is pretty cool news. I want to talk about the fact that songwriters got paid, baby! (laughs) Songwriters got a big raise! Well, not a big raise, but they got themselves a nice little raise while I was in China. And I know many of you listening out there as indie artists, you're songwriters too. And you probably want to know about this raise you just got. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the raise you all got. And let's talk about the implications of it. And let's most importantly talk about what the next steps are for you as songwriters to keep this positive momentum going for you. So if you're wondering what raise you got as a songwriter, I'll tell you, late last month, While I was in China, while I was getting sick, (laughs) but while I was also meeting my wonderful in-laws and seeing the Great Wall, so it all balances out, the Copyright Royalty Board ruled that it would increase the amount of mechanical royalties paid to songwriters on streaming services when their songs are played on those streaming services, and the rate increase is going to be 44% over the next five years. Woo! Hey man, forty-four percent—that that's uh, you know that's a decent little raise. You know, if your paycheck went up forty-four percent, you'd be pretty happy about that. But you know, you might want to before you you know start you know spending big baller style. Let's talk about what that forty-four percent actually means. But let's first look at how all this works. If you're not familiar with the process of how songwriters and how people get paid on streaming services and how the Copyright Royalty Board fits into this, let's break all that down because it is important to know. So. When a song is played on a streaming service, like Spotify, or like Apple Music, like Tidal, like any of these different platforms, the people who help make that recording happen, they have to get paid royalties. So there's two different groups that get paid. One are the owners of the sound recording, which are often record labels, but if you're an independent artist, it's you, the artist, and we certainly want to encourage you to do that, hashtag break the business. Then you have the songwriting side, the people who wrote that song, that went into making that recording, they get paid songwriter royalties. And again, if you write your own song as an independent artist and you release your own music as an independent artist, then guess what? You get paid on both sides because you're the songwriter and you're the owner of the sound recording. You get double paid. So let's look at specifically the songwriter royalties because there are two different royalties that songwriters get when their music's played on streaming services. You get the performance royalty. Let's put that aside for the second. And let's talk about the mechanical royalty. The mechanical royalty, the payment that streaming services have to pay songwriters for the privilege of putting their song into the streaming format and distributing it on a streaming platform. And so that's the rate that got changed here by this Copyright Royalty Board ruling. The the rate, the mechanical royalty rate, is not set by the free market. It's controlled by the government. It's controlled by a judicial body called the Copyright Royalty Board. They make rulings... On what the rate should be. And they recently had their ruling. And they recently increased that mechanical royalty rate. For you the songwriters. By 44%. So hey. Money's money. How happy should you be about this? Because that's what you're probably wondering. Are Is this a little win? Or is this like oh my god. I'm going to go buy a 10 bedroom mansion. With all the new streaming royalties. I'm going to get as a songwriter. And unfortunately the answer here is more the former. This is something to be a little happy about. It's always nice to get a raise. Look, more money is better than less money. Money is money. But this ruling, while nice, does not change the, pro- the, st- the structural problems that are still in the way that really prevent songwriters from getting paid what they should be paid by streaming services. Look, a 44% increase, it sounds like a lot. As I said earlier, if your paycheck went up 44%, you'd be pretty happy about it. But you got to remember that this 44% that we're talking about in the world of mechanical royalties, is a 44% increase of what is already a very small number because songwriters are paid so little from streaming services. Even after this 44% increase, which is going to happen over the next five years, even once that happens, songwriters are probably only going to get something like one or two tenths of a cent per stream, which is very low. And In fact, it's only about a quarter of what the owners of the sound recordings get on streaming services. So, remember, if you own your own recording, the copyright to your recording, and you own the song that you wrote that went into that recording, you get paid twice. But streaming services pay you, the owner of the sound recording, much more than they pay you, the songwriter, uh, almost four times as much. So, it's a a little raise, but it's not a huge raise. It's not going to completely change your life. But... You know, it's something, but I mean, look—if you and, and if you think the one to two tenths of a cent per stream is still rough, imagine what happens if you co-wrote that song. Imagine if you—it's not just you getting that songwriter royalties, but it's you and four other co-writers, and you don't have to split that one to two tenths of a cent per stream. Ouch. So, in summation, the Copyright Royalty Board ruling is a good thing. I mean, more money is better than less money, but it's not amazing. There are a lot of media resources out there that are really hyperbolizing this and are saying like, oh, this is a huge payday. And I know I'm not helping by kind of throwing in the uh the celebration horns and everything, but you know, more money again is better than less money. But it's it's not it, it's a good thing, but it's not an amazing thing. And you might be asking yourself, well, what can we do to see some real change? What can we do to really see ourselves get paid more fairly? And something I've said on this podcast before a few times is If we really want to see songwriters get paid fairly, we need to let the free market dictate what these royalty rates are like. Right now, mechanical royalty rates are being kept artificially low by judicial rulings. And because that's the way the law is, and what should really happen is songwriters should be able to negotiate their royalty rates the same way that record labels do with streaming services. Record labels are making more because they're able to go to the streaming services in a free market and negotiate something. Songwriters don't get to do that. So, in a perfect world, that's what should happen, is the free market should be dictating these songwriter royalty rates. But, we don't live in a perfect world, but what we do live in is a world in which the Music Modernization Act is currently being considered by Congress. And if you want to see things get better for you as a songwriter in the world of streaming royalties, supporting the Music Modernization Act would help you out. Basically, what this law would do is it would change the judicial procedures by which the streaming royalty rates for songwriters are dictated. Among other things, the law would require courts to adopt a free market-based Willing buyer, willing seller standard to determine songwriter royalty rates. So, would it allow the free market to dictate royalty rates for songwriters? No. But it would require courts to simulate what a free market environment might look like in terms of deciding what these royalty rates are. So, it is the belief that that kind of standard would increase royalty rates. And that's the intent of the law. Will this law pass? It could. Um I think the legislative environment is one in which it is ripe for copyright reform. This tends to be the kind of political environment in which copyright reform happens. If Congress could stop shutting down the government every 2 weeks, they might get around to copyright reform. And to help make this happen, your voice should be added to the conversation. The Music Modernization Act in my view is absolutely a win for musicians, particularly songwriters. And it should be something that you want to fight for. If you want to learn more about the Music Modernization Act, go back to episode 113 of our podcast. Listen to our guest from that week, Erin M. Jacobson. She does a lovely job of breaking down the Music Modernization Act and talking about how it can help songwriters like you out. All right. Tommy Darker up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast shameless plug time my new book break the business declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry is now available in paperback and an ebook the book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation promotion distribution and fundraising get your copy on amazon by searching break the business it's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them that's break the business declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry thanks very much for your support Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is a musician, author, educator, and the founder of WISE, formerly known as Musicpreneur Hub, a music knowledge platform that connects music industry experts with creators and students. You can find out more about his work at www.tommydarker.com, wise.com, that's W H I I S E.com, and wise.me. Ladies and gentlemen, we're happy to welcome back Tommy Darker on the Break the Business Podcast. Tom,
1: what an amazing audience.
0: Yeah, I know. They're, they're, and look, they're trained. Check this out. Boom. They just go right, you know, oh, it's, you know they, they, they go up and down on command and stop. Yeah, they're, it's amazing. Um, but great to have you on the show again, Tommy. Uh, we last had you on about six months ago and you gave some great tips for our artist listeners on building business funnels. I loved it. And we started that interview last time talking a bit about your biography because it's an interesting one. Uh, Before you became a music entrepreneur and an educator, you were actually a soldier in NATO and a military police officer. So for the listeners who didn't catch our first interview with you, can you tell people a bit about your career journey that brought you from the military to music? Because it's a pretty interesting story.
1: Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks for having me back. And hello from London. And Second of all, yes, I'm an ex-military. I used to be in the Greek Air Force because I'm from Greece. And um, I joined the military school at the age of 18, right after school. I didn't go to the university. I haven't studied in my life in a formal education institution, but I got trained as a military policeman from early on. And after that, I graduated. I started training other people. I started taking part in military trainings and uh, this and that. And then eventually ended up being at the age of 22 in nato in the headquarters of nato in belgium where i ended up at the age of 25 being the head of security for that uh-huh. so the so the the american admiral that was in charge of nato at that time he was living in that very building that i was actually protecting and the whole village that was around it so it was a very interesting experience At the same time though i was making music i had my own label in belgium i had my own studio we took part in competitions we played live performances We shot music videos in other countries. I had a lot of time and I was filling it with music. So it was half a day I was in the military and then the other half of the day I was either sleeping or making music and it was fun. But then I decided that I'm 25, I've been in the army for seven years so I thought it was the right timing to actually take the next step in my life and make it more interesting. So I started saving money, and uh, I sold everything that I had, my car, my furniture. I'm always telling this story. And then I moved to London, having only two things in mind. I want to make music and marketing for a living. So that was it. And then five years later, now I'm 30, and here we are. Now we're talking about this amazing platform that hopefully will change the education on the creative industries as we know them.
0: Oh, man. (laughs)
1: I, I, Big we, words, right? Yeah, but, we,
0: well, we've interviewed over a hundred guests on this show, and I've heard many different stories for how people get to where they currently are in their in the world of music business. But I've never had somebody start off uh, quite like with your background in uh, being a soldier. It's pretty cool. And yeah, as you were talking about, you you have this new education platform. You're the founder of a, this platform. It's called Wise. That's W H I I S E. And it's a platform for musicians and entrepreneurs. Check it out at wise.com and wise.me. It's got a bunch of cool stuff going on. You have masterclasses, you have a Q&A component where musicians can submit questions to be answered by experts. You got some other stuff going on. In fact, maybe you should tell it because you're going to do a better job than I do. Can you tell the listeners a bit about how this platform works and even more interesting to me, what this platform has in store for the future? Because you got some big plans.
1: Right, exactly. Let me just open my the papers that I have next to me so I can start reading <laughs> things out. So there is a lot of stuff happening. So at the moment, yes, as you said, we started with wise.com and that's the Q&A. Anybody can go and type a question about the music industry, about their own careers, and then we connect it through an algorithm and manually to the right people all over the world. they are experts handpicked by us and then they give a reply back. And that's, that works for free. And so far we start. You know, we started having our first users we started having our first questions answered so there is a lot of questions if you want to browse and people have said that wow i've been browsing for 15 minutes and i already feel much more knowledgeable so it's a great place if you want to look already for existing answers and you can submit your question But at the same time, we want to make sure that we offer something more curated and to find a way that we make revenue with this from an early on because we wanted to build a sustainable business. So we launched at Wise.me our masterclasses. It's a a digital masterclass and a 100-day program for musicians that want to achieve something in a specific subject. So we launched one, a pilot one about live performances, one about getting 100 paying fans, one about social media, and one about YouTube. And they are live that you can go on wise.me and check them out. Some of them are not available because we we haven't launched, again, the new uh, class that, you know, they're going to be available every three months. But uh, depending when you're checking it out, you know, they might be all be available or even more subjects uh, for purchase. And in the future, we're going to be launching mentorship. We're going to be launching uh, different tools that musicians can be using. And we already have launched the live Q&A on Facebook. So more or less a couple of times per month, we bring an expert on Facebook for an hour. And then everybody being there live in the audience, they ask them questions and they reply to everything. So we, so far we had Andrei Apanov, we had uh, Imogen Heap, we had the CEO of TuneCourse, Kurt Ackerman, and a lot of interesting people. So it's we're trying to build a place where you can learn anything that you want about the music business. Now talking about the future... We want to expand to more creative industries. That's why initially we were called Musicpreneur Hub, but now it's called Wise, because we didn't want to limit the scope just to music. The whole vision is to actually reshape education in the creative industries as we know them. Because, you know, it's the creative industries. It's not like being a lawyer or like being a doctor where you have a very specific path. You need to know certain things, and things don't change that dramatically. But being a creative... You are in an ever-changing environment. You need to know what's going on and you need to be educated and to hear the right piece of advice according to what you want to do, which changes. So this is why I feel there is a huge opportunity for the creative industries to reshape the way that they educate the future employees, the future creators, the future stakeholders of the creative industries.
0: Sure. So, and so
1: the, the, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say that you know this I mean, I feel like I'm almost putting you on the psychiatrist's couch here, but I feel like part of what fueled you to create this platform is based on what you've said, you've never really had a particularly strong taste for formal education, and that's something that's a sentiment that many musicians and creative people share. They don't want to sit in a classroom and learn by having somebody dump knowledge into their heads through a lecture. they want to learn by having some self-direction over what their learning path is. They want to find their own learning materials. They want to use the wealth of information that's already available on the internet. And they don't want to pay tens of thousands of dollars to get that kind of education. And so, you know, you're, you're bringing something that's valuable to you, to these listeners. And it's going to be something that's valuable to these musicians as well, because one common thread amongst all the people in this, you know, creative community is, don't like sitting in school so this is this is could really be a home run for a lot of people
1: exactly exactly i mean i haven't met a single person that that enjoys being there in the class and you know what i'm a lecturer i'm, I'm doing that very <laughs> same thing and you know what i hate it when i'm not able to create a more personalized or a more interactive at least interactive experience you know um, so I'm, I'm trying to be as modern as possible, but when you're in a physical class, there is so much you can do. And when you're a single, uh, professor, a, f- a single lecturer, there's so much support you can give to all these different students. And so for me, the, the, the silly thing going on right now is that we just dump information, um, like a book or, you know, things online. And we tell everybody in that class, study that. And you know what? It's, it's not going to be the same for everyone. Not everybody is going to need that kind of information. There's no way to personalize education nowadays as we know it. I mean, if you find something that can truly personalize uh, your education, your tuition, so you can reach a goal that you have in mind, then let me know. Please, I want to meet these people. I want to congratulate them. You know, but in general, I haven't met anything as an educator. And this is what we're trying to, to build, a place where on the one hand, you're going to have all this knowledge. You're going to have all these external resources, but also the resources we've created. The Q&A, this library of knowledge, the mentorship, the masterclasses, the the live newsletter, the the live Q&As, the tools that we've created. So you'll have all these amazing uh, library of knowledge. And I'm talking about library because it's a static thing, Mm -hmm. right? It's there um, and it's not personalized. And then on the other hand... We're going to have some AI assistance, algorithms, basically. But people use AI as a buzzword, so I'd rather use it. So AI assistance, algorithms that take your input. You say how much time you have available per week, how much money you have available to spend, what you want to achieve. So you might want to get 20K through crowdfunding for your next album. So this is a very specific goal. And then by what time you want to achieve that. So something very industry facing, something very practical. You put all this data in and then this AI assistant will create, will take all these resources available, allocate them according to what you want and spit out a tuition program for you that is highly personalized and it's industry facing. So it's not going to be ready made information where people are directing you to a link and then you just do what you want with it. And it's definitely not going to be informative. It's not going to be a place where you just learn about the history of music. It's going to be a place where you get industry facing results. So, this is my vision. I mean, depending when you're listening to that, it might be already true or <laughs> it might have failed. You don't know. But at least what's true right now is that this is the vision. It's and a- it's a need that needs to be addressed and solved.
0: It's a great vision and it, 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 it's music to my ears because I'm a big fan of personalized learning and self-directed learning. You know, in my education practice, I work with a lot of companies that do that kind of stuff. So I, I love it. I think it's going to be a hit and, but I don't want to also dismiss what you've already accomplished so far. You're not just one of these people that has all these ideas, but hasn't, already put some points on the board. You've already done some pretty cool stuff with these masterclasses. You've gotten folks like Andrew Apinov, who you spoke about, who we've had on this podcast before do a masterclass. You had Rick Barker, uh, the guy who broke Taylor Swift, uh, do a masterclass, and they were terrific. And I'm curious from these masterclasses, because you've obviously worked heavily in all of them. Can you give us a couple pieces of advice that you heard from some of these masterclasses that really resonated with you that you think will resonate with our listeners?
1: Right. Okay. So uh, let me first um, talk about Andrew's masterclass. Uh, that was titled "How to Get 100 Paying Fans in 100 Days." So that was the the way for musicians to eventually get somebody to pay something for what they do. You know, it's a way for for musicians to validate whether what they offer is of commercial value or not. And and I, and I was actually a personal example of that. you know. On that time, while the masterclass was on, I launched my own crowdfunding campaign. And I wanted to see if I can get 100 people to pay for what I had to offer. And I'm putting a case study together. So once it's ready, I'm going to give you this case study so you can put in the links for everybody to access. Awesome. Um, but, but what I learned personally from Andrew at that time, and it was personally very helpful, um, it was that Andrew presented three funnels. So a funnel, for somebody that is not familiar with it, it's a strategy that will take people from strangers, take them through a journey. Imagine a funnel that is getting shorter and shorter. And eventually at the end, you distill, you have this drop of amazing, very happy customers. So you take all these strangers and then you start leading them on a journey. Some of them will eventually drop the journey because it's not for them. They realize that they don't have the money, they don't have the time, it's not the right timing. But eventually at the end, you're gonna get some core hardcore fans that are really excited about what, you, what you've done. And then these people, usually they're brought back so they can bring even more strangers, so they can talk about it to their friends, to other people that might benefit from that. So this is essentially a funnel, it's a journey. You know, that may, takes people from strangers, from indifferent people that have no idea who you are, and they don't even know that they need you in their lives, to eventually becoming super fans. Very happy people that have accomplished something. Um, so he presented three different funnels of them, four musicians, and that's very interesting. You know, he talked about, I'm not going to talk about the details. Um, it's going to take, you know, a whole new podcast for that, and probably <laughs> you should talk with Andrew about this. Uh, but essentially, he talked about social media. He talked about the visual aspect of Instagram. He talked about the phone, how to use a service to basically build a funnel by texting people. And then he talked about email, how you can get people started through giving their email and then you take them through a journey that will eventually turn them into raving fans. So there was different channels. According to the channel, there's a different law on how what works and what doesn't, what is effective, what kind of tools to use. But ultimately, we need to remember that it's strategies. You know, it's not just the tool. It's not just the environment that people are going through this journey on. But it's also making sure that the person will be a changed individual at the end of the journey, you know, creating something very valuable. So he he talked about this. He talked about all the tactics. And for me, that that resonated because I realized that there's so much going on if you – choose a specific pathway i chose email and there are so many things i didn't know Um, how you can effectively leverage email what uh, times to send emails how to write emails what kind of language to use you know the brand and the story what kind of offer to make at which part of the funnel what to offer first when somebody doesn't know about you and eventually what to offer at the end when people are really hooked into this and they're ready to make a purchase Like these are all things that I didn't know, and I tried to replicate a few of them on my on my Kickstarter campaign, which was successful financially, actually. Oh, great! Really good.
0: (laughs) I'm legitimately interested in how that case study is going to turn out. Uh, Definitely send it over to me when you have it done, because I'd really love to see. Because I I like these master classes that you're putting together, because they're all about actually doing something tangible, and you know you know, learning something that will have a direct impact on moving your career forward. And so I'd love to see what it's done for you. And that's, I'm I'm pretty intrigued by that, but I want to ask you a more kind of broader question and sort of tap into your thoughts as a music educator on this musicians and particularly indie musicians, they have to spend a lot of time in the day, week, month, doing certain things for their career. They spend a certain amount of time practicing their instrument. They do a certain amount of time finding gigs. They do a certain amount of time uh, doing social media, making their albums, all those things. And I would imagine you would say that, you know, musicians should also set aside a certain amount of time to educate themselves, to learn about the industry, to learn the business side of what they're doing, to learn, to do these kind of master classes and, you know, to get their questions answered. And so... I'd love to get your thoughts on how much time in a day, week, month, etc., cetera, should a musician kind of spend to educate themselves? And what should that look like? Is, is that something where you should really just set aside a solid amount of time uh, over the course of a month or something to say, this is where I'm going to educate myself. Uh, what would that look like to you?
1: Right. That's a very interesting question, first of all. And it's something that I'm doing right now myself. I can talk again. Uh, by personal experience and it's a painful subject to talk about there is no right or wrong answer I'll tell you what I'm a fan of go for it I really love dedicating a certain sorry dedicating a set amount of time every week towards a specific cause so Mm -hmm. whether that's business development whether that's partnerships whether that's education making music writing you name it So what I usually do is every 100 days, I set a new goal. So I put together a goal of what I want to achieve, how I want to be as a person in 100 days. So I know the end goal. And it's not an end goal that is just a new year resolution that at some point in the year I'm going to do that. No, it's in the next 100 days. So it's three months and a half. It's very manageable, and you can achieve a lot in 100 days. So once I have put together this SMART goal, a very specific goal, then what I do, I start breaking down what I need to do to go from point A, where I am right now, to point B, where I want to be in 100 days. And I see what's missing. So I might recognize that I don't know enough about this. I'm about to organize a conference, but I haven't done this before. So then I have the choice either to outsource it, to build a team. And if I don't have the money to build a team to pay them, I need to also find money. Mm-hmm. Or I can spend a number of days learning about conferences, uh, finding examples, doing the research, finding the right mentors and paying for a session, um, and you name it. So this is what I do usually, I try to see what I want to accomplish. So usually when somebody sends me an article, check this out, it's very interesting, I appreciate the gesture, but if this article doesn't really take me closer to where I want to be in 100 days, I put a bookmark it and I put in the to read list. Mm. So I make sure that I can read it eventually, but I only read to- um, stuff that is, is uh, timely. So I want to make sure that during these 100 days, I'm both effective, so I can get closer to my goal. So every day, I want to make sure that I do stuff that are getting me actually closer to the end goal. And then I want to be efficient. I want to make sure that depending how how much time I have, I have available every day, that I use this time more efficiently and I don't procrastinate. So there is um I recently read I'm going to share this tip with you. I recently read the the book 4-hour work week. Great and uh, a lot of people told me that dude, uh, you've read the book, right? That was like years ago. And I always tell them I was telling them no, I haven't read it. But I was I, w- I was having this mindset before. So I was curious like what is this book saying? So I got, you know, a couple of days to uh like couple of days off. So I took the book and I started reading it and it was very easy to read, and I skipped parts that I didn't care about, but eventually this productivity bit, this effective and efficient uh, concept, it made me, you know, it, it rang the bell. I'm like, yes, this is where I wanna be. So what I did after that is, I started um, checking how I feel and how effective and efficient I am every day. So in the morning, I'm gonna, um, I have this little grade, you know, one to five, and I'm saying how much energy I have, how much creativity I have, and how much excitement I have. And then in the day, at the end of the day, after I'm done with my work, I write down how many hours of work I've put and how many hours of creative projects I've spent. So creative projects being writing, making music, writing stories, uh, and reading. And then work being development, education, growing as a as a as a business. Right. So Mm -hmm. on one hand, I have, let's say, four hours of creative projects, you know, growing as a person, growing as a musician, growing as a writer. And then on the other side, growing as a business. And I want to make sure there is a four to four hour balance. So four hours of business and four hours of of uh, education and uh, creative projects. And then at the end, I always write from one to five how effective I was and how efficient I was. Hmm. So 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 that's why I wanna make sure that if, if let's say I wanna make music for four hours in the day, I don't schedule any meetings. I just focus on the creative flow or when I'm reading, I'm just focusing on reading for a couple of hours without interruptions. So no notifications, no phones, nothing, no internet, I just read. You know, because interruptions, they are taking away a lot of time before the interaction and after the interaction, you know, till you actually get back in the zone. When you do something, so so yeah, making sure that you're efficient is a great way to not have any hours wasted in the day. Yeah. So yeah, long story short, uh, this is it. Education is a part of a bigger picture. It has to do with the goal that you have in mind, and then it has to do with what you want to achieve every day, what you prioritize, and how effective you want to be.
0: Yeah, you really threw me for a loop in that answer there, because I-, I thought you were going to say yeah, set aside x number of hours, but. What you're really saying is it's context specific and it's specific to whatever your goal is. And depending on whatever that for you 100 day goal is is going to dictate how much and how much time you set aside for education and what that education looks like. That's pretty cool. That's, you know, really interesting. And you gave a lot of great tips there, but it's law I have to close with this question anyway because we've done it for 118 episodes and I can't break the streak now. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward?
1: Right. Okay. So today's tip would be, I'm going to direct you to a resource that I really respect and it's called the Freedom Journal. Okay. Freedom Journal, I think it should be freedomjournal.com. Just check it out and go and buy it. I think having a journal where you write every day what you're going to do, what you're grateful about uh, in the evening, what you've done what worked, what didn't work, the lessons learned, it will help you be more productive, be more disciplined, feel better about yourself, acknowledge more your feelings and, and your thoughts, and eventually it's going to get you closer to the goal and who you want to be in 100 days. So go check out freedomjournal.com.
0: I love it. You can check out... It's
1: not. It's not my journal, by the way. It's somebody <laughs> else's resource. I haven't built it, but I'm, I'm a big fan of it.
0: Well, no, and I, I appreciate you plugging the great work of others. And so we're going to plug you here. Uh, you can check out Tommy's platform at WISE. That's W-H-I-I-S-E dot com and wise.me. Tommy Darker, everybody, thank you so much for being on the show. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Don't be a stranger. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: All right. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger, here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Tommy Darker for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to find out more about his platform, WISE, by visiting W-H-I-I-S-E dot com and WISE dot love bringing you guys cool, innovative music education platforms that are out there to teach you more about entrepreneurship. And I love the model that this guy uses. I love that he allows you to ask questions to experts and you get answers from those experts. I love that he's got these master classes that are, that are not just passive masterclasses where you're just getting lectured at, but that they have real actionable steps that you take from the masterclass. And he's got a lot more cool projects in store as you heard from that interview. And so I'm glad I was able to bring him to you. Tommy Darker. Love that guy. Oh, it's been a busy week for me, people. I I am just reeling here. I mean, after my trip to China, I have been doing other stuff too. I just got back from Orlando, Florida, Friday and Saturday. I spent my Friday and Saturday there at a PodFest in Orlando. It was a cool conference. It's my first podcaster conference. I have been podcasting for almost two years, more than two years now. God, time flies by, 118 episodes and all. And I'd never been to a podcasting conference before. And it was great. I learned a lot. I made some great contacts. I feel like I repped the podcast well and... I bought some new equipment for the podcast. Uh, it hasn't come in yet, but I got some cool new toys, including a new mixer, and I really need to get a new mixer, so it is well overdue. This one has fallen apart on me. I mean, over the course of 118 episodes, you knew it was going to start crapping out eventually, but we're getting a nice, fancy new one, and we're all going to agree not to tell my wife how much it cost. All right, cool, cool. Code of silence. Okay, great. And I, I met some great folks uh, who have been involved with the podcast in different ways that were at this conference. I ran into Bruce Worsniak while I was there. You might remember him from episode 90 of the podcast. He was our guest. He hosts now here this entertainment. He's super knowledgeable. He's a great friend of the podcast. Uh, It was cool to run into him because I had never met him in the flesh until that conference. And he's great. He's one of the good ones out there. And if you're looking for some great advice from an expert on how to get more gigs, be sure to listen to episode 90 of this podcast because Bruce had some great tips there. Also... I ran into William Hung. I don't know how many of you know who William Hung is. I feel like a lot of the younger listeners that just zoomed right over your head, but go Google him if you don't know who William Hung is. He was at this conference and uh, it was a delight. He was, he's the formal, former American Idol contestant, arguably, in my opinion, probably the most famous American Idol contestant they've ever had. There, there is an argument to be made, uh, not necessarily famous for his amazing performance. In fact, just the opposite, but For the young people, again, if you don't know who William Hung is, go look him up on YouTube. It'll give you a good laugh. And he gave a presentation at this conference and I got to meet him afterward. And he's he's kind of a cool dude. He's an interesting guy. He's got some cool things to say about courage and about following your heart. And I I wouldn't have expected that I was going to say this, but he might have been the best presentation I saw at this conference. So kudos, William Hung. I kind of want to get him on the podcast. Is that crazy? let me know. Send me send me an email uh, at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Would you like to see William Hung on the Break the Business podcast? And speaking of which, uh, you can contact the Break the Business podcast. If you have emails you want to send us, if there's questions you want us to answer on the show, breakthebusiness at gmail.com is where you go. I answer all the emails I get. Many of them I answer right here on this podcast. So if you have a question about your music career, if you have a legal kind of tip question that you want us to talk about, if there's a particular topic you want us to talk about on the show for a week, let me know by emailing me at BreakTheBusiness at gmail.com. I love building our content around what you guys want in emails as opposed to just me picking what I think might be good content for you. Listener-driven content is much better for this podcast. You can re- rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on our iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher platforms. Send us some nice reviews, guys. It really helps move us up in the podcasting world. We want to reach a bigger audience. We want to help out more people. And uh, I hope we can count on your support there. Again, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher are the places you can find us. Throw me a follow on Twitter. I'm at Ryan Kair, And you can like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash BreakTheBusiness. Before we go for this week, i got to talk Grammys. The Grammys happened while I was away. I know it's old news for all of you, but I've been in China and I kind of want to talk about the Grammys, even if I'm kind of the last word on it, because the Grammys happened while I was away. And, you know, I don't have a lot of Grammy coverage to talk about in terms of the actual show, but I will say this. I can't believe, can't believe, can't believe that Kesha lost the Grammy for best pop solo performance, honest to God, I thought it was a lock. I even wrote on Twitter back in November when the Grammy nominations were announced that Kesha was going to win back in November. I wrote on my Twitter and I quote, if there is anyone out there actually depraved enough to gamble on the 2018 Grammy awards, you need to reevaluate your life choices. But also Kesha is a lead pipe lock to win best pop solo performance. You're welcome. Depraved people. But I was wrong. I can't believe it. She lost. Frankly, I mean, a lot of people are blaming the toxic culture of the music industry for why Kesha lost the Grammy. But I'm starting to think it's my fault. It was my hubris. It was my bold prediction that it was just so obvious that she was going to win. And I put it on Twitter and said it was a lead pipe lock, like I was some kind of jackass, you know, sports betting guru or something. Because those are the only people that use that phrase. And I was just completely wrong. And I'm I'm just shocked by it. Cause look, look, look. I'm not good at a lot of things in this world, okay? I'm not good at sports. I'm not good at charm. I'm not good at drinking by Joe without nearly dying, as you saw from the first segment. But if there's one thing I feel like I'm good at in this world, it's picking Grammy winners. Seriously, go back to previous episodes where we've covered the Grammys. We've done Grammy predictions every year on this podcast, and I have a pretty good win percentage. And I would have bet anything that Kesha was going to win that Grammy for best pop solo performance. I was more sure of that pick than any other Grammy pick I've ever made, including the ones that I've gotten right. I mean, that song, Praying, is a great song. And the song's message resonates with what's going on right now with the Me Too movement. In fact, even predates that movement because Kesha was going through the stuff that she was going through with Dr. Luke well before Harvey Weinstein was Harvey Weinstein. And so, I mean, this is, this is a lot of ways, this is her movement, and she performed at the Grammys and she brought the house down and this seemed like an easy pick that she was going to win this Grammy. And so I made this tweet back in November and and I, and I was wrong. And look, when I made the tweet back in November, people weren't even impressed by it. They were like, you know, I tweeted, you know, Kesha's going to win the Grammy for best pop solo performance and everybody wrote back to me and said, "Duh." I mean, yeah, you're really going on, going out on a limb there, Ryan. But I was wrong; she got snubbed, and yeah, that concludes my Grammys coverage. I mean, I'm just I'm just so shocked that she lost that Grammy award. Before we go, I have one more Grammys related thing that I want to talk about, and that's Neil Portnow. A couple people have emailed me while I was in China, wanting my thoughts on Recording Academy President Neil Portnow's comments that he made about women in music that he made after the Grammys. And a lot of people in music right now are very upset by his comments, including some top artists that you have absolutely heard of. And a lot of, a lot of executives, men and women not happy by his comments. And I would say this, by the time you listen to this episode, it is possible that Neil Port now is going to be out of a job. He, if in fact, if I was betting on it, I predict that he's going to be resigning by the end of this week. Now, granted, I also predicted the Kesha thing, so that may give you an idea of what my predictions are worth. But either way, people have asked me whether I think he should have to resign based on his comments. And I feel like, uh, you know, I know I know, we've already been talking about this a lot, but he might, or, or I should say the industry has been talking about this a lot while I was, you know, getting sick in China. But I, I, I kind of want to lend my words to it, especially because I think something might happen on the Neil Portnow front by the time this podcast goes up this week, so first let's let's talk about the actual comments he made. Neil Portnow was asked about the lack of representation of women among Grammy winners. I think the only woman who won a solo Grammy at on the telecast was, or I think it all, I can't remember what it was, but the only the only Grammy winner that was a solo female was Alicia Cara, and the rest of it was was all men. It was a hashtag Grammy so male. Grammys and Portnow was asked about that and was asked how that can change. And what Portnow told Variety was it has to begin with women who have the creativity in their hearts and souls, who want to be musicians, who want to be engineers, producers, and want to be a part of the industry on the executive level. They need to step up because I think they would be welcome. And a lot of people did not like the step up comment. Uh, A lot of superstar artists uh, not happy about what he said there. uh, Pink the the fantastic love her recording artist pink she said on twitter women in music don't need to step up women have been stepping up since the beginning of time stepping up and also stepping aside fair comments um and yeah he's been dealing with these this controversy for the past couple of weeks and as for the question of do i think he should resign yeah i do and and i say this by prefacing my comments with two things one I don't like to call for anybody to lose their job. You know, like, I mean, we all, we all, we all got to make a living, man. And, and I'm not the guy who just fires people left and right on his podcast, but I do think it's necessary here because I think that what Neil Portnow has done has suggested that he's not the right fit for fixing the problems that women are facing in the music industry. And since women in the music industry are half of the constituency in the industry, Uh, we need somebody who can actually demonstrate an understanding of the issues and to fix the problem. Um, second thing I want to preface the comments with is I don't want to live in a world where anybody can lose their livelihood based on the worst thing they've ever said and done. None of us want to be judged by the worst thing that we've ever said or done. Nobody wants the worst thing we've ever said to be taken out of context. We all want to be judged by the body of our work, by the content of our character, by everything we've done in our life, not just our worst moment. I get that. I don't want to be judged by the worst thing I've ever said on this podcast, whatever it is, and I would not want to lose my career because of the worst out-of-context statement I might have made in my legal practice. None of us want that. We're all... We're all on the same page there, I think. And to be fair to Neil Portnow, there is some context to his statements. When Neil Portnow said women need to step up, he wasn't saying that, that the, it's entirely the fault of women that women are underrepresented in the music industry. You have to read all the context. I get that. And in fact, right after Portnow's step up comment, he went on to say, I don't have personal experience with those kinds of brick walls that you face, but I think it's upon us, us as an industry to make the welcome mat very obvious, breeding opportunities for all people who want to be creative and paying it forward and creating that next generation of artists. So in all fairness to Neil Portnow, he's not straight up blaming women. And there are people defending Portnow right now who are saying that he was taken out of context and you got to read all the words together, and it is true. I concede the point. In context, the words are less problematic. If you read the women-need-to-step-up comments in the context of everything he was saying, it's less problematic. But make no mistake, the comments are still problematic. Neil Portnow basically said in that interview that there are two things that need to be done to make things better for women in the music industry. One, women need to step up. And two, that we need to make the welcome mat obvious for women, that basically women need to try harder and the industry needs to encourage women more. And that sounds kind of okay on the surface. I mean, at least the second part does. The first part, no, women are stepping up plenty. But you know, yeah, the industry needs to encourage women more, sure. But that kind of rhetoric still suggests a fundamental misunderstanding of what women are going through in the music industry. Even if we accept, even if we adopt Neil Portnow's prescription for fixing the problem, even if we, even if women step up more, if, if they somehow can, and if we make, and if we, we encourage women more in music, those two things on their own aren't going to fix the problem. Again, women are plenty stepping up already. Women are trying really hard. Women are looking for opportunities. Listen to the women of Women Crush Music the last two weeks. They are fighting for a better place in this industry. And as for the second point about wanting to open the welcome mat, encouraging women more. Yes, Neil. Encouraging women is important, and we need to do more of that in the music industry. We're not doing enough of that, absolutely, but that's not good enough. Encouraging women, opening up the welcome mat is not going to fix the problem. The music industry is poisonous for women right now. There is a systemic problem. Women are facing a toxic culture of abuse, exploitation, and discrimination. These are big problems big problems and they don't get fixed by just encouraging women more. Go back and listen, listeners, to the Women Crush Music episode last week. Listen to the painful, powerful stories that these women shared in that episode. Those kind of stories, they don't happen because women aren't being encouraged. They're happening because women are being abused. They're being kept down. They are being subjected to an industry in which the deck is stacked against them. And any leader of the Recording Academy who does not understand this, who does not understand that this toxic culture exists, who does not understand that the way that it needs to be fixed is with aggressive and comprehensive programs, real initiatives that are designed to create opportunities for women and keep women safe, kind of like the kind of initiatives that Women Crush Music is doing right now. Somebody who doesn't understand that, who isn't willing to say that's the answer to that question is probably somebody who shouldn't be leading the recording academy. So yeah, I think it's time to bring in somebody new, somebody who understands that a cultural change needs to happen in the music industry, that serious, tangible, comprehensive initiatives have to be implemented to make things better for women in music, to really fight this toxic culture. You know, not just roll out the welcome mat into the house, but repair the whole damn house. That's what needs to be done. And the Recording Academy needs the right leader to do it. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us this week. Again, my thanks to Women Crush Music for taking over the podcast for the last two weeks. Y'all did a stupendous job. So good. And my thanks to Tommy Darker for joining us this week. And my thanks to all of you for listening to the Break the Business podcast. It is so good to be back. See you next week, folks. Thank mm-hmm. you.